Welcome to the Student Ministry Podcast by Lifeway. We're glad that you have chosen to listen to this episode, and we're glad to receive a rating and review from you. It helps other people find the podcast as they search for student ministry content, and most importantly, it helps us continue to get better. So let us know what you think. We want to continue improving the podcast for you student pastor, and student ministry leader. I am your host, Ben Trueblood, and in studio with producer Nathan. What's up? How's it going? It's going good, man. We've got another fantastic episode today. I want to introduce you, listening audience, to Dr. Josh Packard. He is the executive director of Springtide Research Institute. Springtide is a sociological research institute that collects thousands of data points each year about the lives of 13 to 25-year-olds, so student ministry people. If you're not familiar with Springtide, you're not familiar with Dr. Josh Packard, then please, this is a moment of introduction, and I would love for you to continue to check out the things that they're doing to inform you on the age group that you are working with. Josh is committed to bringing those insights through research into the world in ways that are actionable and relevant. You're gonna see that through today's episode, and before coming to Springtide, Josh spent nearly 15 years as a professor and researcher. He's an award-winning scholar, speaker, and teacher lives in Colorado uh, with his wife and his son and the note here too. And I love this one, so I'm gonna call it out specifically. Uh, Your son is an aspiring astronaut Minecraft YouTuber. Uh, I've got, I've got a son, uh, that, that watches Minecraft on YouTube all the time. So that's right up. That's right up his alley. Yeah. It's some combination of those three. We're waiting to see, uh, you know, which way it shakes out. Although with the Olympics, he did say that although he's never picked up a bow or an arrow that he might want to compete in archery at mm-hmm. some point. There we go. So there you go. Well, <laughs> uh, how old is he? He's 11. Okay. So, hey, by the time, you know, another 10 years from now, he might be able to do all of those things at the same time. You never know where we'll, where we'll be 10 years from now. If Elon Musk yeah. has anything to do with it, those things will all be possible in 10 years. We'll all be living in the multiverse. You can just put the headset on and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and have at it. That is so true. Well, uh, Josh, thank you for being with us. We're, we're really excited to have you here. One of the things we love to talk about on this podcast is research related to the next generation, re- research related to Gen Z to help equip student pastors, not only with resources where they can go and read up on their own, but conversations like this that can kind of give them insight. And one of the things that I, I really want to dive into is you have research that is in the moment right now in a post-pandemic world, how we need to be caring for teenagers based on what they've experienced over the last 18 months. Uh, I think it's an understatement to say that teenagers have gone through a lot this last year Uh, and student pastors as well. It's been very challenging for both of those. And so I kind of want to just start off by throwing a very broad question to you and then we can kind of drill down from there. What stood out to you from your research that teenagers experienced over the last 18 months that student pastors really need to be aware of? Yeah, well, first I'll say that we felt really confident about using the words post-pandemic when we wrote the title in February. Yes. (laughs) Now, you know, oh man. Um, It's it's post-pandemic to pre-pandemic again. So we'll mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's something like that. Well, so here's what happened is, you know, at Springtide, we're really focused on the the intersection of of faith and, and spirituality with, 
the daily lives of mm. 13 to 25 year olds. So how does all that come together? How does it shake out, especially among this largest category of young people who are not religiously affiliated, N-O-N-E-S, nuns? Um, because we know that they have these, these very religious concerns and questions and often religious practices, spiritual practices that go along with those things. But they're not always or even very often channeled through these traditional institutions. And a lot of times institutions then just sort of miss them. They think if they're not showing up on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or, or at youth group or at campus ministry time, like that they don't exist and or they don't care about mm. religion. And, and our research over the last couple of years has shown that that's just not true. And it hasn't been true through the pandemic either. So we we did this initial study right in March of 2020, the first weeks into the lockdown. And then we followed up with it again in uh, February 2021. So we'll see what happened over the last year. And I think one of the, uh, you know, there's a few things that really stood out to me, um, and, I, and some of which I know that we're going to talk about here in a second. But one of the ones that I think maybe goes overlooked a little bit is the role of um, digital and social, uh, social media and digital media in, in young people's lives and, and how they really saw the limits of it. Um, mm. And it's, it, it has caused me to rethink a lot of how I understand social media in young people's lives. And, and at Springtide, we... Uh, internally, we, we had this mantra that we don't want to be a bunch of old people studying young people. Um, so <laughs> <That's good. laughs> knowing that we can't reverse our age, uh, what, we, what we do is we try and surround ourselves with various places for young people internally to get to see our data first and comment on it first. And so we have a monthly ambassadors program that helps us to shape those findings and those mm -hmm. outcomes. And, and they've really been instrumental in helping me to understand that social media is this thing in their lives that is necessary but insufficient so they can't imagine their world without it right like it would right. be silly then they tell it they tell us all the time that they wish adults took their social media lives more seriously there's really important things that go on there hmm. lots of faith exploration that goes on there by the way but that this year they have seen that it's not enough that yeah. that they need these in-person relationships and what's sort of scary is that after 18 months you sort of you lose the the habit or the um the practice of how to be awkward in front of each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how to even just engage in conversation. I mean, I, I did a speaking engagement yesterday for a Catholic school in Idaho. I was on site all day doing some training with their, with their staff. And uh, I was exhausted. It was the first in-person speaking engagement that mm. I've done in the last like 20 months or something. I've done 45 Zoom <laughs> presentations. <laughs> but I mean, I got to three o'clock and I was like, get me to the airport <laughs> restaurant like, this needs to be over and they were such great people but even i was feeling that like exhaustion it was really interesting to hear young people say that like the social just wasn't enough man i think that is uh such an important there were a couple things that's that jumped out to me as you were speaking and one of those was that young people want grown-ups <laughs> want mm -hmm. older people to see the importance of social media that, that important things happen there. It's not just, man, you're just scrolling, get off your phone, it's a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, and right. one of the things that jumped into my mind, like that's right now with what's going on in Cuba, social media is one of the only ways that we in the yeah. United States are getting a picture mm -hmm. into the revolt that's happening and the government stuff that's going on in Cuba. And that is a very important thing and, uh, if as adults, we don't realize that, hey, important stuff goes on here too, then mm -hmm. we could potentially be disconnected from teenagers 
or less informed than mm-hmm. teenagers that we're trying to minister to. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, it sort of reminds me of, uh, I mean, I'm a sociologist by training and a lot of so- social psychology in my background. And before, you know, psychologists and sociologists came along maybe 50 years ago or so and started really shining a light on, you know, at for toddlers and infants, like playtime is really important time. Like they're testing and learning and developing as they are interacting in small groups on playgrounds and things like that. Well, I think that's largely where adults' understanding of social media is right now, too. They don't take it seriously enough. They don't think that important things are going on there. And and so when they do that thing that you just said, like put down your phone, stop scrolling, like yeah. instead do this other thing that involves staring into nowhere. Like they don't give them a credible <laughs> like other thing to do, right? They just want them off their phones. What it, it immediately disqualifies you from that conversation in their mm-hmm. life because it signals to the young person, like you don't really understand me and, and understand my, my life if you're that, that easily able to dismiss what's going on. So in many ways, their social networks have gotten them through this pandemic. Like they, they would be in worse shape without them, um, but, but they know it's not, you know, it's not enough to carry the day. Even yeah. though, and I think this is where adults really need to step in is the, you know, the media, or I mean the, uh, the advertising messages that they get from these social net- media networks is this is all you'll ever need. Yeah, you know, this is where you can you can live your whole life right here on Facebook and Instagram, because, of course, that's what the company wants. But we've got to do a good job Mm -hmm. as adults of helping them to understand, like, you know, that's not good enough. Yeah, that's right. right. You know, that's not true. And it comes out comes out in your research and in your conversations with the with those young people that it just does fall short of in the relational category. Like this does some things for us. And like you said, it can get us through. But the light has also been shown on how it is insufficient for relationships. At the end of the day, it just doesn't get all the way there. Yeah, it's not it's not the whole pie. It's just a slice. So I wanted to ask you a question about uh, a specific data point in your research that does have to do with relationships. Um, and when the pandemic started, like I remember, uh, even for us here at Lifeway students, like there were a lot of things that we had to shift. There were a lot of approaches to ministry and serving youth pastors that we had to transition to. And it was kind of happening all in real time as student pastors were also all asking the question, how do we do ministry right now? And churches are asking the question, how do we do ministry right now? Like I remember, like my kids are in school here in in middle Tennessee and all the teachers were asking, how do we do school right now? Uh, And one of the things that, that you asked them in the research is if anyone outside of your home has reached out to you personally, who was it? So we're in this moment where we're in lockdown, where people are Mm -hmm. in their homes and they're hit with this question in a pandemic environment. And I was surprised to see that only 10% of them said that their faith leader was a person that reached out to them personally during that season. Yeah, it's one of the, you know, we, we try uh, and present the data as the data are and, and not do, yeah. you know, we, we suggest actions on them. Uh, ways that they can, you know, if you care about this, if you believe this data, then then here are some things you can do. We 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 say all the time that we want to be useful, not interesting. But this is one of those places where, um, you know, we we step in pretty firmly and and say, I think uh, we take a pretty. This is just is not good enough. Yeah. I mean, that's our editorializing about the data, but it's just not good enough. And and it's an improvement. I mean, in the first study that we did in March of 2020, uh, tw- yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, 2020. It was two percent, so mm-hmm. it went from two to ten. You know, things got better, uh, 
but you know it's it's not good enough and um religious leaders are uh among other things but like as a profession one of the main things that they do for us is that they are professional sense makers they help us make sense of the world around us our place in it why existence exists in the first place you know <laughs> um and at a time when young people really needed more sense-making help than ever, um, they just often didn't have those connections to the people who are best at doing it. Yeah. And uh, we, every fall we put out the state of religion and young people. Last year it was about relational authority. This year we're writing about navigating uncertainty. And that's one of the big roles that we, the really key roles that we see religious leaders being able to play to connect with young people is that they still really want and need these guides. And I think that's why to me, when I say it's not good enough, it's because I think there is so much value that institutionally trained professionals, uh, youth leaders, even even like well-trained um, lay leaders. I don't think you have to be like, this doesn't have to be your career. They've never been needed more than they're needed right now. They have so much to offer mm. and, and just missing from, from that conversation. And in part, I understand it. I mean, it's like, look, as you mentioned, like everybody, it's not just that young people went and are going through the pandemic. Everybody went through the pandemic. Yeah. And it was just, we were all affected. But there, were, I think there was a lot of, you know, there was, there was a lot of time and effort spent on things that um, maybe didn't always reach out and, and connect with young people. Yeah. It's, a, it's so interesting to me because to see that it did land woefully low on the people that reached out to me during this time. And when we couple that with social media just isn't enough, it falls short of relationships sure. that I need in my life. Those are two things you put those data points together and it's like, okay, there's a real opportunity here for churches and faith mm -hmm. leaders to say, okay, we as the church can model what relationships, loving, kind, compassionate to each other, helping people make sense of things that are happening. Yeah. Those relationships mean more to people now than they ever have before. And there's, mm -hmm. there's a real opportunity here for the church still, even though we're kind of in this weird post-pandemic or is it post-pandemic state right now? <laughs> yeah, right. So, Quasi-post-pandemic. Yeah. Pandemic adjacent. <laughs> that's that's, that's right. Pandemic adjacent. Yeah. What would you, yeah. uh, I'd love to hear how the divisiveness of our country along the same timeline as the pandemic, mm -hmm. how that showed up in your research, because there were... Uh, political things, pandemic things that also had political things wrapped all in it. There was uh, racial inequality conversations happening all over the last 18 months. How yeah. much, what did you see in the research and in your conversations with teenagers about those issues, the, politi the politicized, the divisiveness of the country? How did those flesh themselves out? Well, they, they don't think a, they don't see religious leaders as playing a particularly useful role here. I mean, I mm. wouldn't say that they see them as contributing to the problem necessarily, um, you know, but but they don't see them as bridging those divides. OK. Uh, in fact, we uh, we had in the in the state of religion and young people report that'll be out this October. We did ask more questions about that because we were interested in you know, why young people are just so not inclined themselves to turn to religious leaders in times of trouble. Mm -hmm. I mean, not, 
I want to be really clear. I don't think it's the job of the teenager to be mature enough to figure out what they need and then go and find it and advocate for themselves. Like that's, that's our job as a, that's right. But I was, we were just curious about like, well, you know, why isn't that the first thing you think of? So something like 16% of them say that uh, when they're experiencing uncertainty, they turn to somebody in their faith community. That's the same number, by the way, as say that they don't turn to anyone at all. They just get through it on their own. Hmm. So like, it's, you know, not only are faith leaders not reaching out to them, but they're not like front of mind for young people either to reach out to as like someone who could help them understand and make sense of the world. And we were curious about that. And what part of the story, this is not the whole story, but part of the story that emerges is that young people just really, really often think that faith leaders don't care about the same things they care about. Mm. Um, so you ask young people, like, how much do you care about the environment and climate change? You know, the numbers are pretty high. And you ask them, like, how much do you think that the religious people care about faith uh, or about uh, religious leaders and, and people care about climate change and the environment? There's like a 25 percent gap hmm. between those two things. Um, how much do you think, you know, how much do you care about racial justice? Young people, you know, it's really high. How much do you think religious people care about those things? Again, there's like a 20 point gap or more um, and on and on for a whole host of levels. Now, I think what's really important about this is not that they're. I don't know if they're painting an objective truth about the world. I mean, I think lots of religious people do care very highly about those things. But, you know, the old saying in my field of sociology is that which people perceive as true is true in its consequences. Mm. And here we've got, you know, something I do think is really true about their perception of that gap. And um, we're not always doing a lot in the religious world very effectively to bridge that gap and fill in that perception that maybe, 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 maybe it's inaccurate, um, their perception. Uh, but until something comes along to displace that inaccurate perception, that's how they're going to fill in the narrative. And, and you can understand why, like, well, why would I turn to those people? They don't, they don't care about the same things I care about. Mm. It's an interesting point. Would you describe it as maybe a religious leader, like somebody who's listening to this and, and, and would say, no, I've, I really do care about those issues. Maybe they just, they don't make it, those kinds of issues don't make it into the things that they talk about at church. Maybe they don't make it into the small group Bible study. They don't make it into the sermon or whatever conversation is happening. It's just kind of like, well, I, I care about climate change or I care a whole lot about uh, racial justice. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to preach about those things. Right. Yeah, no, I, I do, and I, I do think that's fair. Um, you know, young people. We're speaking about teenagers. You know, their brains aren't fully developed until you know you're in your early twenties. A little bit later, for for men than for women. Um, you might argue that you have some friends that you know whose brains still haven't fully developed, and they're in their forties. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, the, part of one of the effects or the impacts of this this basic biological development is. Um, this difficulty in being able to hold two truths at once mm. or to see the gray area or the nuance. Um, it's just not a thing that young people are super like able to do just yet. And that's why in this, in the new normal that we have these, what we call these exercises at empathy, they're really designed to help adults put themselves into the mindset of young people and then, and then express those things in ways that young people can begin then to, to make sense of some basic seem like seemingly contradictory things to begin at, you know, then exploring sort of the mystery of faith and religion and, you know, how the world could be like this and have a God that cares about you and loves you and mm. those kinds of things. Um, 
because that is a those are that's a difficult place. That cognitive dissonance is just not something that your average 16 or 17 year old is well equipped to handle. But often as adults, we sort of expect their brains and their you know hormones and 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 uh, biology to work essentially like miniature versions of ours. Right. And and it it just doesn't. Uh, so you know, for example, in the new normal, we 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 ask people to think about in those exercises in empathy. We ask adults to think about like what. What were some things that you gained over the last 18 months? And what were some things that you lost as a way of helping to model for young people? Like both things can be true about this pandemic. Like you might've had a loved one who died because of COVID. And also you might be excited because you graduated. Like those two truths can exist simultaneously. Yeah. You might have gotten, you know, maybe that person that you, you, you really thought that you were going to, start dating and have this long relationship and that whole thing fizzled out because you were never able to get together and you landed your dream job in the same month. Like mm. <laughs> those are things that happened for people. Yeah. Um, and so we, but like, they're not, you know, they don't have necessarily even the language to begin processing that just yet. Yeah. You've heard uh, Dr. Packard refer to the new normal. That is their their newest book that has come out in, uh, along with this study. It's called The New Normal, Eight Ways to Care for Gen Z in a Post-Pandemic World. So I want to encourage you to check that out. It's going to go into a lot more depth than we're able to cover in this podcast. So make sure you check that out. Uh, the new normal is the name of it again from Dr. Josh Packard and Springtide Research. Well, one of the things that you guys are uh, quick to say is that we want our research to be actionable, not just, yeah. hey, here's a bunch of numbers to talk about, but <laughs> that you want there to be action steps that are available for people to take on these. And for this one, it comes out in the form of these eight ways to care for Gen Z in a post-pandemic world. So rather than go through all eight, because I do want uh, I do want people yeah. to, to, to dive in on them by themselves and check it out, check out the resources that you guys have, um, you've spent the most time with all of this stuff. What are the top couple that stand out to you if I'm a student pastor and I'm thinking, okay, I really want to care well for my teenagers in a post-pandemic world. Maybe I'm a parent of teenagers. How do I care mm -hmm. well for them? I, you know, we may not have reached out. We may be part of the 10% that of the faith leaders that reached out, but I want to, I want to, I want to get back on the horse, so to speak. And, and I want to care well right now. What stood out to you among those eight action steps? Yeah, thanks. Uh, that's a, it's a great question. The, we, we've took, we undertook the study and, and made it available for free because we felt like there was a real need in this moment. I had gotten the sense earlier this year, late in uh, winter of last year that some people were sort of thinking that maybe if they left off in the middle of a teaching series about Galatians in, uh, February of 2020, they were just going to pick up in the middle of that teaching series in August of 2021. And like, you know, <laughs> here we go again with Galatians. And I, I just, we were hearing from lots of young people that like, that was, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, that not only would you not be going forward, I think you'd do real harm if you, if you tried to, to do that without it. And then to the extent that we did hear people thinking about how they were going to spend some time in their ministries processing the pandemic, once, you know, young people came back to campus, I think they were dramatically underselling the amount of time. I really think this mm. is like a whole year. I mean, if if the somebody asked me for a five point plan for for this academic year, I would say stop, listen, take a breath, and then listen some more and call it a day. 
Like you could do a lot worse than just listening to young people hmm. talk in a directed way about their how they're feeling um, for the next year. And that's so that's the first thing that I would say. It's like all of these come out of the sense of like, let's where can we listen and how can we listen in structured ways um, that are perhaps that will help, get, help young people to go deeper with these. And the one that I think uh, the one that I think is most, I don't know, immediately doable and uh, a place especially where religious leaders are equipped to contribute here is in those, you know, what have you gained and what have you lost this year? Those really come down to rituals. And and we are so good. Well, I don't want to say we, y'all, um, you know, because I don't do hands-on ministry with young people, um, but lots of your listeners do. And, you know, y'all are really great at, at like, using and crafting rituals um, mm. for a specific purpose. So let's think about what a ritual does, right? A ritual connects us to a meaning that's bigger than us throughout time by naming something and, and not and not then putting it away forever, but putting it in its appropriate place, right? So when we think about a funeral, what happens there? It's not that we, uh, it's not that we come together and celebrate somebody's life and then forget about them forever, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's that we come together to celebrate somebody's life so that we can put that grief where that grief is supposed to go and we can return to those memories in a way that is accessible but doesn't like overwhelm us anymore. Hmm. And that's at its core what rituals do uh, in celebratory ways like with marriage and in grief ways with funerals. And I think we can do, we would do well to craft more of those rituals around celebration over the last you know, 20, 24 months, what, what can we celebrate out of this at all? Um, but also then to like name that grief of the things that have been lost and, and to put it in its appropriate place. And we can think of a lot of ways of doing these. I mean, you know, some of the, th we can brought out some of the things I used to do as a camp counselor, you know, you can write down all of your concerns and on a piece of paper and we can burn them in a fire. And I think you can build a really nice, you know, it sounds sort of cliche, but I think you can build a really nice ritual around this. And your listeners will have like way more creative and better ideas about how to do this. I, it'll look different for each community. But the idea is that we're doing something collectively to mark that this thing has happened and it's me, but it's not going to overwhelm me. Um, and at the same time to make space for these are the things that like, yeah, these are the these are the joys and experiences. Yeah. And if you can't craft a, a pretty slick and uh, compelling teaching lesson from, you know, either the New or Old Testament out of that, then, you know, then I'm not sure uh, that you're in the right field because that lends itself to me to like straight into those kinds of things. But I think that's how we get there. We listen to mm -hmm. their successes. Um, we build these. We do what we know how to do as yeah. religious leaders. That's good. I, I like the definition of ritual there. And because that you're right, student pastors create these kinds of moments all the time. Uh, all the time. I, I love the camp counselor illustration too. After uh, I have a daughter who started eighth grade this year. So she was in seventh grade during uh, the pandemic season and just, you know, just had a hard year. And at the end yeah. of it, it was like, you made it. We, you finished, like you finished, you got to the finish line. And yeah. uh, I, this is, it just struck me because she, you know, there was some emotion there and just, it was a hard year. And mm -hmm. I just said, do you want to burn all your seventh grade notebooks and books? Yeah. Fire's <laughs> like good just for that, in right? the backyard. She was like, yep. yeah, I do. And it, we did the same thing. That's awesome. Thing. I love yeah. it. It just creates this moment of clo closure. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that word I think carries with it so much baggage for people, I think. But that's what it does. Like it was a, re it's a real punctuation on okay, this is what happened. We recognize it happened and we're going to deal with it. 
Mm-hmm. And so I, I love you know, I, student ministries taking on that same kind of ritual type approach. And you're seeing a lot of, uh, I've talked to a decent number of campus ministers on, on college campuses who are working, you know, through interfaith groups to have these kinds of ceremonies and rituals collectively as mm. they come back to campus here in a couple of weeks. And some of it involves, you know, creating murals and writing down key words that people have come up with. Um, some of it is just the act of getting together to acknowledge this as a group. Yeah. Um, you know, that regardless of where you are um, in your life or with your faith, um, regardless of where you are politically, we can pause for a second to acknowledge our common humanity, especially over these last year and a half. Yeah, that's right. If you choose to go the fire route, be safe, have <laughs> consent form signed. Be, be, don't, don't, yeah, go, I mean, don't go overboard. Yeah. It, all of the legal stuff, take, you know, cross your T's, dot your I's. What's something else action step wise in uh, that people can be thinking about as they care for students in this world? Well, a lot of young people told us that one of the things that they did to help them get through the pandemic is to take up art. Um, so this wasn't, it's not the majority, but it's a sizable number. Um, something like a third or a quarter of young people picked up new artistic hobbies. Uh, but here's the thing, like they may not be any good at it. So (laughs) I think, you know, as for those of us who are maybe not artists and I put myself in that category, the only way that I really could think of to engage with art that somebody would show me is to say like, Hey, okay, so tell me what's going on here. Like I, I, Mm. I then want them to explain their own art. And what young people told us is that the, the, the act of making art was really important to them. What they made was not so important. And so uh, what we recommend here is um, letting them share, especially if you work with young people who know have been doing that, even journaling or poetry, if it's, if it's visual art or, or video or photography, asking to see it, showing interest, um, but not asking them to explain what it is. I think we would do better to ask the questions um, about process. So, you know, oh, like, tell me, you know, tell me how you came to be in that spot where you took that picture, as opposed to trying to get them to explain the importance of the, of the picture uh, or of the image. The, um, because they may not have the, the language, again, to explain the feelings that go along with that image. And also, it may not, it may be more about the journey than the destination. And it also may be really crappy art and they may know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not the story, right? Um, and if you are the kind of person then who who is willing to get down and dirty and make crappy art, in my case, with them, um, and, and then de- sort of deconstruct your own process uh, in a way that can help give them that sort of language to, for their own journey, then that would be useful too. But I don't think you have to do that in order to connect with them about these things. Um, we have uh, a couple of interns over the summer at Springtime who have been working on um, a, a pandemic playlist, a Spotify playlist to go along with the new, uh, not with the new normal, excuse me, with the state of religion report that'll come out. And so this wasn't even like, they're not even their songs, right? But the act of putting this together and involving our ambassadors and other young people has been this like, it's where they were like picking songs and writing descriptions about why that song was important to them. Um, it became this really cathartic moment where you can sort of see people's journey through the pandemic based on these songs that they're picking. Um, you know, 43, I'd heard of like two of the songs in the playlist. <laughs> but I also got exposed to a lot of really great music. But I think that's the, that's the avenue in um, for young people who are maybe not so verbal, but, but are, you know, have been making things. Yeah. Um, 
and care about art a lot is don't ask them to explain it, but ask them to, you know, see if we can get them to talk about it, why they did it, where they were, what the process was like. Yeah, that's good. So you can find out more uh, about the new normal study and the resources that are available for you to dive more deeply into this at springtideresearch.org. Uh, Josh, before we let you go, uh, any other ways that people that you would like for people to connect with you, either through social media or anything like that? Absolutely. Yeah. You can find me on, uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Dr. Josh Packard, DR Josh Packard, all sort of, you know, as it runs together, no periods or anything like that. I'd love to hear from you there. Um, that's where you can see too, um, all of our announcements about we've got an upcoming application process for a writer and residence that's really aimed at late high school or maybe early college students who want to write about issues about spirituality and Gen Z and uh, be mentored by our head writer. That'll be coming out soon, as well as our current call for interns. That's out currently. Great. And you said the religion report comes out in October. So we want to, I want to make right. sure and uh, put a, everybody put a note in your calendar for that. That'll be more research and information that'll help you pastor teenagers and their families as that comes out this October. Yes. Fantastic. It'll be, um, that one also just like last year, thanks to a generous donation, that'll be free and digital and low cost. I think it's gonna be $12 in print. That's awesome. Well, Dr. Packard, thank you for taking the time to join us today on the podcast. We really appreciate it. And uh, I know that as people dive into this, that they're going to really benefit and care well because of the work that you guys have done. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Happy to come back anytime. Perfect. Well, producer Nathan and I will be right back after this short message. So this week, you might guess that we wanted to tell you about the new study called The New Normal from Springtide Research. So we talked about that throughout the episode and made sure and give you guys the information there. So head over to springtideresearch.org. You can find The New Normal there. Nathan, what do you think? You, uh, you spend a lot of time in research in mm -hmm. Gen Z and uh, some, you know, religious based research and some non-religious based research about, uh, about teenagers. So what stands out to you, man? I know you've kind of in preparation for this episode have been reading some of their stuff. What, what sticks out to you? Yeah, I think, I think it's important that whenever we look at research that we, we make sure we don't take the assumptions before we like see the research. So I think it's good that like they've done this in the middle of like this pandemic. Like this is pretty fast, I think, for in the sense of some research, some of the research yes. we look at for Gen Z, it's like, you know, some of the latest big studies that we look at were like 2018 and it's like, quote unquote, cutting edge. And you're like, yeah, but this was like four years ago now right. coming up on four years ago now. So this is, I think, really, really good stuff to look at. And I think they've done a great job of listing some of the data here, but then also some practical ways in which we can kind of, you know, use this data, I think, to our to our benefit. The big one that stood out to me was just the amount of people that or just the faith community not reaching out during the pandemic. And so yeah. I just, you know, I mean, we obviously hit it really hard in the in the podcast right there at the beginning. But again, that just that got my mind running with also with the stuff about social media. But I think sometimes we we get so caught up in what we think we should be doing or how we can help how we can kind of I guess it's hard to say but how we can be the best that we can be for our students that we forget to ask our students what's the best that they need from mm. us it's a good way to put that yeah like I was a little bit disheartened mm -hmm. same with that 10% of people were reached out to by their faith leader uh, which could be a pastor or a youth pastor you know that's a lot of different contexts for right? sure 
But I think what I would what I would say to that is like Josh said, it's just too low. Yeah. Like let's recognize that. Like right. we've just gotta do better than that. But I would but I would quickly say, and we can. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like you can turn the page on that mm-hmm. and say, Okay, that's not just a pandemic thing that people want somebody to reach out to them right like that still works yeah and i think sometimes like in today's world of student ministry we get so distracted by man i gotta have my social media for my student ministry and that's how i communicate right i communicate with my students through our ministries tiktok or our our ministries snapchat Mm -hmm. or our ministries instagram or whatever it is or the text group that you send announcements Mm -hmm. out but the reality is is that's not reaching out to a person correct yep it's communicating yep but it's not engaging a person yeah and so a year ago we were talking about the new measure in student ministry needs to be engagement. Mm-hmm. Like who is our ministry actually having conversations with yep. during this season? And this research it was earlier than a year ago, but this mm-hmm. research reinforces that. Yeah. That, that, that that's what's needed right now. It does. And one of the things that is in here, a stat we didn't give during the podcast, but it's two thirds, 66% say they will, of these, People surveyed Gen Z say that they will now value those personal relationships even more having come through the pandemic. What was the percent on that? Two thirds, 66 percent. Okay. We'll value personal interactions more now on the back side of it. Yeah. So couple that with what they're saying about social media and what Josh was saying about it. They understand that it's not the end all be all Mm -hmm. like obviously social media companies that we feel like want them to think that it is. So just reaching out on social that's not the interpersonal connection that they're looking for. They're looking for that personal form of communication, whether that's the phone call, the direct text, not the group text to everybody. Hey, how's it? How's this going? Yeah. Right. Cause it's, you know, they're looking for that personal one-on-one. How are you really doing? Yeah. From you, from a small group leader that you train, right. you know, whatever that, whatever that looks like, man, I, I was, yeah, I was struck by, Hey, social media is just not enough. It doesn't, it doesn't satisfy the relationship. And that's something I think we in the church world would have said, mm-hmm. oh, well, of course it doesn't. Yeah. But now they know it. Yeah. Right. Like now the teenagers in your ministry know this is a shadow of what real relationship is meant. Yeah. Is meant to be. So I, I said it in the podcast. I would say it again. Now there's real opportunity here. Yep. Maybe we didn't handle some things as well as we could. Man, listen, nobody did. Yeah. No, there wasn't a playbook. Everybody's figuring out how it goes, but now we know some things. That's why that's why people like the work that, that Josh is doing. Mm-hmm. That's why episodes like this are so important because now we have the information and we can solidify that information into action steps. There's real opportunity here for the church to step in and be an example and lead the way in what true real relationships look like. Yeah, exactly. I think we've, and we've got to listen and hear what we're ministering to Gen Z. We need to listen to Gen Z. It's, this is not the generation of, Oh, let's just, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps they don't respond well to suck it up and do better or just get over it or you know it'll be okay like that just doesn't work they've grown up in a different time a different place they've seen a generation that has tried to do that and in a lot of respects as we look back on other generations that did that but then they've also seen and are coupled with some of the negative things that have come with that and so you know they want to talk about these things they like josh said like the grieving process the celebration process getting in touch with the arts we've got to understand who gen z is and what they want to be about if we're going to minister to them effectively 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I th- I think the listening, and he talked about it multiple times, both in listening as they did their research, mm-hmm. and when he said like, "Hey, when you come back to church, yeah, have those structured listen in structured ways." And I thought that was that was really really wise. Yeah, and we can't listen. The temptation, student pastors, and the, and then we're done. The temptation is going to be, we're back. We can do student ministry the way we want to. Yeah. But we can't. We mm-hmm. can't go back and just try to do things the way we were doing them. Those days are over. And to to just move past this like it never happened out of a personal desire to just start doing it again misses out on the opportunity that I think is here for, for the sake of the kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, this has been another episode of the Student Ministry Podcast by LifeWay. We'll see you next time.